so much, Nancy, for preparing our hearts for the word. Father in heaven, thank you for the Lamb of God that took away our sins. And Father, now as we are able to look into your word, we know because of Christ, our Savior, and what he's done for us, we have your spirit living within us, your Holy Spirit, which empowers us to live a life pleasing to you and a life which we can live in such a way, Lord, that even when the darkness comes in the valleys of this life, Father, we will find strength as you have promised through your grace. And now bless your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles with me, let's turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42 this morning. We're continuing our series, a study in the Psalms. But we come to this one particular Psalm, Psalm 42. And uh, some of you, I'm sure this Psalm has been a real blessing over the years. And the the first verse, uh, the songs have been written about it. But uh, notice at the beginning, at the very top, before verse 1, it says, For the choir director, a maskil of the sons of Korah. For the choir director, a maskil for the sons of Korah. So this is not a psalm of David. Okay, this was a psalm that came out of one of the sons of Korah. Who were the who who were the sons of Korah? Well, they were Levites, and they were chosen by God to be part of the tabernacle ministry. In fact, they were many of them were musicians. They would lead worship, and they would lead the people into worship before the Lord. And so, whether it be the tabernacle or the temple. Uh, they served in a musical aspect. But here, this particular uh, psalmist begins to write because he's hurting. He's hurting deeply. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. The psalmist writes, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist paints uh, this portrait for us of a deer desperately thirsty, needing water. Perhaps the deer was, he, he has in mind a deer that was on the run from being pursued by some wild animal. Or he's out in the desert and he's just... He's dying of thirst, and he's looking for a stream, looking for the water. So the psalmist says, just as, as a thirsty deer who may be about to die is looking for water, Lord, that's the way I am thirsting for you. Notice he says, so my, so my soul pants for thee. As the deer pants for the water. Oh my God. And then verse 2. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. He had a thirst. He had a thirst for God. And there are times in our life where we find ourselves, whether it be in a trial, 
a loss, uh, something, uh, tragedy that happened in our life, and suddenly we feel so dried up. We feel like God isn't there. That God, where are you? You've allowed this to happen, but I don't feel your presence. He wants us to thirst after him. You know, sometimes I find myself when the trials come, I thirst for just deliverance. You know, when am I going to get out of this? You know, when is this going to end? But the psalmist is saying in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his affliction, what's he doing? He's saying, Lord, I'm thirsting after you. I'm thirsting after you. Lord, come and quench the, the parchedness of my soul in this affliction. And so he begins rightly by thirsting after God. And maybe you're there this morning. And you've been thirsting after God, waiting for him to move, waiting for him to answer a prayer. That thirst will be quenched one day. It will be quenched one day. And then look at the end of verse 2. He then adds at the end, when he, with a question, when shall I come and appear before God? Now, when you first read that, you think, well, you can't wait to get to heaven. And I know sometimes when uh, the saints get so sick and are so much pain and there's really no turning back, they long for heaven. But the psalmist isn't referring to heaven here when he says, when shall I come and appear before God? He's not talking about the appearance before God in, in heaven. But what he, remember, he's one of the sons of Korah. What he's talking about is he longs to appear in the tabernacle once again. The, the place of worship, the temple, where back then was, sat the Ark of the Covenant. And of course, that was considered, that's where God's presence dwelt among his people. And the, this particular psalmist, along with his family, Levi family, they, they would come and they would worship the Lord at the tabernacle and they would lead in worship. But something has taken place in this man's life where suddenly he was prevented from going to the tabernacle, going to worship the Lord in his presence. So that's what he's thinking about. He's thinking about the presence of the Lord when he used to go to church. You know, it, he longed to go back to church, so to speak. You recall not too long ago when the churches were shut down because of COVID? And many of you remember, remember that time when we were, we were forced to stay in our homes? Remember that feeling? Couldn't go out. Government wouldn't say, you're not allowed to go to church. You're not allowed to. And do you remember, many of you, the longing you had when you couldn't wait to get back to worship the Lord here and to be among the brethren and to worship together and be lifted up and encouraged by the saints? See, many of us have gone through that, longing for the day when we would come back to the house of the Lord and be able to worship in his presence. Now, we know that we, we were able to worship at home because we know God is everywhere, omnipresent. So we knew he was with us there. But it wasn't the same as coming to church, was it? Where we are gathered together to, to worship him. 
And this is exactly what was, what was tearing this psalmist apart. He's used, to, it's, he's used to leading the music and being part of the fellowship there and leading the people. And he, can't, he longs to be back there. Now look at verse 3 together. He then goes on and he says, My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, and these are people who are mocking him, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Where is he? How come he's not delivering you? You know, now he's really sharing what kind of grief and pain he's been going through. Tears has been his food night and day. Do you recall the last time you were crying in the middle of the night and you were crying out to God. Whatever the reason, whatever the situation, there was that breaking heart. You're being torn apart and you're crying out to God. And sometimes the tears can't stop. And then we get to a place where, where, where we've cried so much that we don't have any more tears to shed. God sees that and understands. He knows what we're feeling. He has compassion on us, but he, all the while in his affliction, and this may have been some kind of physical affliction that the psalmist was going through, so much so that it didn't allow him to go to, church, go to the tabernacle to worship or to be part of his ministry there, but he was isolated. And so while he's sick, whatever he's going through, at the same time, he's He's struggling with, with wanting to get better, get back to the, 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 the worship uh, with the saints. All this while, at the same time, he's got his enemies, just like the fr friends of Job, saying, where's your God? All right, you must have done, there must be sin in your life. You must have done something. God's punishing you, you know, and... They, they, they will, many times, we will be mocked by those who really aren't walking with the Lord or don't know the Lord. And we claim to be Christians and then suddenly affliction hits us and they're watching us. And they hear us crying out to the Lord, believing he's going to come and, and help us. And they're going, where's your God? Where is he? Almost in a mocking way. And that's what was happening to the psalmist. He was getting mocked. I want you to turn with me to 2 Kings. Let's go to 2 Kings. because I want you to see an example of this. Of this mocking. 2 Kings 19. Uh, I'm sorry, 18. 2 Kings 18. Look at verse 28. 2 Kings Chapter 18, beginning of verse 28. Now, let me just paint the picture for you here. What's going on? The king of Assyria, Sennacherib, has come down with his armies. And he is wiping every nation and every city. Out, wiping them out, conquering them. No one can stand in his way. At this point in time, the king of Assyria was the most powerful king in the world and nobody could fight against him. And so he finally comes to Israel, comes to Palestine, and he starts moving down. He's fighting in the north. 
But he sends some of his army down to, to take Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem is besieged by the army of the Assyrians. So all around the, the, the city uh, are these soldiers, and they've cut off the water supply, and Israel doesn't know what to do. And the king at this time of Judah was King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, a godly king, one of the most godly kings of, of Judah. But then we have one of the... Uh, one of the commanders under King Sennacherib, he's the spokesman. He is now going to shout to those on top of the wall of, the, of Jerusalem who are looking down and looking at all this army and thinking, we're dead. They're going to come in. We're all going to die. And, and, and they don't see where God is. Just like the psalmist, they're questioning, where is the Lord? Then look at verse 28. Then... Rabshaka, there's the, uh, the commander of this army. Then uh, Rabshaka stood and cried with a loud voice in Judean. Notice he's going to speak in their language so they can understand. Saying, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. For he will not be able to deliver you from my hand. Remember, he's speaking on behalf of the king of Assyria. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Here comes the mocking again. Do not listen to Hezekiah, your king. For thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me. Come out, open the doors, come out and eat each of you his vine and each of you his fig tree and drink each of you his waters of his own cistern. In other words, he's kind of tempting them saying, you want food? We'll give you the best of everything. If you just open the doors, come out to us and turn the city over to us. But he's mocking the God of Israel. And then verse 32 until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, so you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah. There he keeps saying that. Don't listen to Hezekiah. Why? Because Hezekiah is trusting in the Lord and telling the people we are going to trust in the Lord to deliver us. But do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharim, Hena, and Iva? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my hand? that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. And then verse 36, But the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was do not answer him. Here was the mocking. Here's the mocking. And there are times in your life where Satan is behind the mocking. And sometimes Satan will use a person in your life, in my life, 
or just put thoughts in our head saying, yeah, where's your God? Where is he? You're, you're still tr- in, in the mess you're in. You're still suffering. God hasn't delivered you. He's not going to deliver you. And Satan puts those thoughts in our minds because he is the mocking behind this. You can almost hear Satan's voice behind this. Do you recall an, an, the Lord Jesus Christ when he was on the cross? And when he was on that cross, the religious leaders who were watching Jesus die, do you remember some of the things they said at the cross to Jesus while he was bleeding and nailed to that cross? Luke twenty three thirty six. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. Then Matthew 27, 40. If you are the son of God, come down off the cross. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down off the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let him deliver him now. If he takes pleasure in him. For he has said, I am the son of God. They mocked our Lord Jesus Christ as he died there. And God, the father, did not come and save his son. Why? Because he knew that this was the plan of salvation. The only way you and I could be, could be saved from an eternity in hell and be placed in his presence as his child and forgiven all our sins. But Jesus had to die. So Jesus took the mocking. But can you hear the similar phrasing, the similar mocking all throughout this? Through the mocking of Sennacherib and then the mocking of Jesus and the psalmist is feeling the same thing. But I love this. Turn to chapter 19 here, 2 Kings. Just go over to 2 Kings 19 now. And look what Hezekiah the king does. Verse 14. Verse 14. Chapter 19. And, and by the way, the, this, this, all this mocking and this, uh, all these words were written in a letter and handed over to the king by the enemy. Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And he went up to the where? The house of the Lord, and he spread it out before the Lord. I want you to picture, picture King Hezekiah falling on his knees in the temple. Okay? And he just, he, he takes the, the mocking letter that says, your God's not going to deliver you. And he spreads it out before the Lord there. And then he prays. Listen to his prayer. Look at verse 15. And then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who art enthroned above the cherubim, thou art God, thou alone. That reminds me of that song, Steve Green, God and God alone. Thou alone art God of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Incline thy ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see and listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. So they have been destroyed. Verse 19. And now, O Lord, our God, I pray 
deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou alone, O Lord, art God. This is exactly what you and I need to do. When we're in the midst of the suffering and affliction, the, the test, the fire's hot, I need to bring my need, my letter, my threats that the enemies, the thoughts Satan's putting in my head, I had to bring them before the Lord and saying, Lord, the enemy's after me. Father, I'm laying it at your feet. Here's my, here's, uh, my affliction. Here's my pain. Here's my trial, Lord. I lay it at your feet, for thou art God. And we will see now that the psalmist himself goes back to the, having a, a vision of God. Turn back with me now then. We can see the similarities here. Turn back to Psalm 42. And look at verse 4 with me. The psalmist then went on and said, These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. What's he doing in verse 4? He's remembering the good old days. Have you done that lately? Suddenly, things have changed in your life. You've been turned upside down, and, and then you just long for the good old days. I know we all do. When we see what's happened to our country and everything else, we long for those good old days, but they're not coming back. But he longs. What does he long for? He remembers how he used to go with the, 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 the people into the house of the Lord, and he would lead them, being a Levite, he led them into the house of the Lord for worship with the voice of joy, thanksgiving, and a multitude-keeping festival. Yet now, he didn't feel like praising God. And you might not feel like praising God in the midst of what you're going through this morning. There's a reason why God has allowed it. So he doesn't know the reason for all this, and he longs to get back into church but then he stops. At verse 5, something changes in his heart. And suddenly the psalmist is going to step out of himself and actually kind of like view his, his soul and his attitudes and his feelings. And he's going to look objectively at himself. Look at verse 5. He asks this question to himself. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Well, he's got a lot of reasons to have despair, right? But he's saying, in spite of all the reasons, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Disturbed within me. This word disturbed in the Hebrew means to rage or moan. It, it, it has that word of aching. I've become disturbed. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Then look what he says, and here's what I want to leave you with this morning. He suddenly says, hope in God. For I shall yet again praise him for the help of his presence. 
There it is. He turns to his soul. Think of this. He's turning to himself. He's going, wait a minute. And this is the faith in his heart that's speaking. And he says, why am I so upset? Why am I allowing my despair to just control me and the situation to overwhelm me? I need to hope in God again. Hope in God. And that word hope in the Hebrew means to wait patiently, expectantly for God. And in the midst of your situation, dear Christian, this morning, I have these three words to give you from the psalmist. Hope in God. Hope in God and no one else. Don't put your hope in doctors. Don't put your hope in other people. Don't put your hope in your own strength to get you through. I'm going to pick myself up by my own bootstraps and I'm going to make it. And I'm, you know, I'm going to fight this. But that's all in the flesh. Our hope has to be in the Lord. And he recognizes this now. Hope in the Lord. And so there is the true answer. First Peter 1.13. We don't have time to turn to it, but let me just read it to you. Peter wrote, in this you, and Peter had just finished talking about the trials and various trials in life that the saints were going through. He writes, in this you greatly rejoice, even though for now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials or manifold temptations. That's in verse 6. But then in verse 13, Peter then says, Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. It means keep alert. And then he says, Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope on the grace that is about to come. In other words, fix your hope on the day Jesus is coming back. The day he's going to return and he's going to take us all home. I need to fix my, my mind on that blessed hope that no matter what happens, I know where I'm going. No matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets, the Lord Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me. He will never leave you. Hope in the Lord and in his grace. David wrote in Psalm 130 verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word, he says, do I hope. This is where I find my hope, right here. God's precious word, the living word. I read this and I find that these are the promises of God. And I have to claim these promises, hold on and let God be God and remain, uh, remain in faith, trusting the Lord to do whatever he wants to do in my life. No matter what the outcome is, would you this morning say, Lord, I am resolving myself to hope in you. Whatever you have for me, I'm going to hope in you alone. And let's turn back now, if you will look back with me, and we'll just finish up the verses together in Psalm 42. He still thinks of his soul in despair. But throughout the rest of this psalm, look what he says. 
Verse 6, oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember thee from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. He remembers the Lord. That's what I've got to do. He remembers what God did in the past. And he, he's now believing, Lord, I remember what you did before. You can do it again. Dear Christian, look back and see what God did for you in the past and believe that he's going to do it again. In his own way, maybe in a different way, but he's going to do it. He's going to take care of you and bring you through it. Verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. All thy breakers or waves, they, thy waves have rolled over me. And maybe today you feel like you've been smashed by wave after wave in your life. And you, you can't even come up for air. That's what, the way he's feeling. But look what he says in verse 6. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. You see, he knows that in the middle of that darkness, God will give him a song. And the Lord can give you and I a song. But the only way that song is going to come to my heart is if I'm hoping in the Lord. And hoping in his promises. Verse 9. I will say to God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of mine enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say all the day long, where is your God? Now the psalmist is going to repeat the things he said at the beginning. You know, they continue to question. Verse 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? And he concludes by saying this again. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him and the help of my countenance and my God. Anna, our daughter, uh, is down at Lancaster Bible College th- today. Normally, we bring, she's here with us. But she had a concert this afternoon at 1 o'clock that she had to partake, at, be part of at Lancaster Bible College. Um, but... We were just, when we had, had, had her home, we picked her up Friday so she could just spend it uh, Friday and Saturday with us. Um, we, we began to talk. Uh, she, she brought it up. And she said, do you know what anniversary it is this week? Of course, I'm thinking church anniversary. Yeah, we got that. And it's not our wedding anniversary. And, and she says... I have been one year free from seizures. Our daughter was diagnosed with epilepsy at age 15 for four years, and you went through it with us. For four years, we saw her go through this terrible ordeal of the seizures just come on unexpectedly. And you think your daughter's dying every time. And we just called out to the Lord, like the psalmist. We, did, we asked, Lord, would you grant healing? He didn't have to do any healing. He didn't promise he would. But we know that we had, all we had to do was hope in God. Hope in God and wait patiently for him. 
And so with the grace of God, in Anna's life, she experienced it. And in our lives, the rest of the family, we went through that valley. A year ago in November, the seizures got so bad, as you recall, she ended up in the hospital, Lancaster General. She had a seizure while in the cafeteria at Lancaster Bible College. In front of all the students, she fell on the floor. They rushed her to the hospital, and she was having one after another. So there she spent a week in that hospital. And a neurologist, a new neurologist she had never met before, took on her case. And he, he decided to try a brand new medication. She'd never tried this before. But he says, we'll try this. She left that hospital with that medication. She began taking that medication and ever since, there has not been one seizure. Only God. Only God. We know God's using perhaps the medication. But we know that God in his mercy said, it is enough. He calmed the troubled waves, the brain waves of the seizures. And he said, peace be still. And Anna is rejoicing. God, she just says, I can't, keep thank, I can't thank God enough and praise him enough for giving me a year without the, the seizures. And she is glorifying him. And again, she could have, just, they may come back. We don't know. But we know this, that her hope was in the Lord and so was ours. Though we question why, it's okay to ask God why. We may not see him heal. He may not choose to do it that way. But what he can do is heal our hearts and strengthen our hearts by his grace to get us to a place like the psalmist where we say, but I will hope in God. Let's pray together. As we bow before the Lord this morning, dear Christian, Perhaps you've been feeling hopeless. Perhaps you've been struggling and struggling to find the answers. God doesn't give us answers most of the time. But he does say to us, trust me. Trust me. Would you right now, dear Christian, take your situation, your trial, your pain, and just present it to the Lord like Hezekiah did and Bring it before him now and say, Lord, here it is. You know what's going on in my life, Lord, and I am going to hope in you. You do what is best. And Lord, I just ask that you might deliver according to your will. But Lord, I will hope in you and stand on your promises. Would you make that decision, Christian, this morning? Once you do that, you will begin to sense the peace that passes all understanding that's promised you. If you're here this morning without the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you have no hope. There is no hope beyond this life. Jesus came to give you hope and to give you abundant life. 
and forgive your sins and to make you a child of God, but you've got to believe in him by faith. Would you do it now if you haven't done so? Right now, would you just give your heart to Christ? Come before him now and pray a simple prayer like this with me. Right where you are, pray something like this. Mean it with all your heart. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I am sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me. You took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead, Lord Jesus. And with head still bowed, if you gave your heart to Christ, you are now born again. Spiritually, you're born into the family of God. Your sins have been washed away, forgiven, and now you can have the hope that he promised. You have the hope of eternal life. You need not fear death. And Jesus will help you through every situation in the days ahead until you see him face to face. Welcome to the family of God. Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for your promises. We thank you, Lord, for encouraging our hearts once again to hope in thee. No matter what our eyes may see, no matter what our feelings are, no matter how much pain we feel and despair, Lord, help us to choose to put our hope in you and wait patiently for you. And we thank you for what you will accomplish for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.